Okay, this morning, please take God's Word and turn with me to Luke chapter 1. This morning, I'm bringing you the first of two Christmas messages. This morning, we're going to look at a passage in Luke chapter 1. Then next week, we'll look at a passage in Luke chapter 2. This passage today precedes the birth or uh, the approaching birth of Jesus. And the next week, we'll look at the birth uh, of Christ. Uh, in biblical times, names carried tremendous importance. Uh, without a name, an object or a being did not even exist. In the creation story itself, the first chapter of the Bible tells us that after God called each piece of the universe into being, He completed His creation by naming everything. There was earth, there was sky, um, there was sea. Uh, so he goes about naming all of these things. And then what follows that is that he assigns to Adam the job of naming all the animals. And when God does this, it shows that God has the authority. The one who gives the name has the authority. And then he delegates that authority to Adam to exercise dominion over his creation. And this morning what I want us to do is I want us to look at a passage in which we are given four names that are given to us as descriptors of Jesus. Four names in God's Word for Jesus. And an angel appears to a virgin, and in his appearance to this virgin, he, she, he announces that he'll give birth to a, she'll give birth to a son, and that this child is going to be distinguished from all other children by four distinct names. These names emphasize the child's regal position and his origins. And so follow along with me this morning in Luke chapter 1 as we read, beginning at verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I've not had sexual relations with a man? And the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there's so much in your name. And this morning, as we bow before you, Jesus, we thank you 
that it is that name Jesus that is precious to us today. Thank you that that name has stood the test of time. It has withstood wars. It has withstood attacks. And still the name of Jesus stands high. And that at one time around the world, there is a day when it is remembered that God sent his son into the world. Lord, may we come and honor him this day, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Names are of tremendous importance behind every name. There's a story. My full name is Sidney Charles Woodruff. Uh, Sidney is the name of my paternal grandfather. Charles was the name, first name of my maternal grandfather. And so I am related to them genetically, but I'm also associated with them by name. Mary is told in this dream that she will conceive and have a son. And in this announcement that comes from the angel, God's announcement to her identifies this child and says he'll be distinguished from all other children by four names that are mentioned in our passage. So in Luke chapter 1, what I want you to see this morning is that the Christmas story is, in fact, told through the giving of four names. And I want us to consider each of these names and what this all means for us. First of all, I want us to see the name Jesus, that the name Jesus foreshadows his saving activity. The angel's message to Mary in verse 31 was, You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus. Now in the Hebrew, the name Jesus is the word Yeshua, and the word Yeshua means in Hebrew, Yahweh saves. And so Gabriel is revealing to Mary in advance what this child will do for all mankind. Joseph, the man chosen by God to help Mary raise Jesus, was a righteous man. And he had his own encounter with an angel before the child was born. Before Joseph and Mary had come together or been intimate with one another, Luke chapter 1, verse 21 tells us, An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, She'll give birth to a son, and you're to name him Jesus. And then it explains it this way, because he will save his people from their sins. This was no common child. He was sent of God to redeem fallen man. He came that he might provide the means for our salvation. When Adam sinned, all who came after him were born into sin, and therefore all who have been born, are born at enmity with God. The holiness of God demanded that there be a sacrifice to provide atonement. There had to be a perfect sacrifice if the atonement was to endure. For centuries, sacrifices had been offered, but none of them fully atoned for sin. Jesus came for our salvation. 
It's in his name. Salvation is in the name of Jesus. His name foreshadows his saving activity. I want you to notice secondly, though, the name Son of the Most High spotlights his majesty. In verse 32, we read these words, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Mary was to bear a son, and it was a special child. He was the Son of the Most High. I want us to think about that for just a moment. The one who created the world was about to humble himself in the form of a man. The creator was about to become dependent upon his creation as a helpless child. The hands of Mary, the hands that he had created in her mother's womb, would soon caress his tender face. Those tiny hands that would take hold of the thumb of his mother were the hands that created the universe. The tiny babe that she would hold was the one who stood on nothing and spoke it all into being. He's the one to whom the angels cry in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. He's the one announced in the Gospel of John this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, no thing was created that's been created. He's the one about whom Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. The name, the Son of the Most High, spotlights his majesty fashions change toys break fame fortune recreation and pleasure they're all momentary they're all fleeting people will fail us worldly pursuits and worldly things don't satisfy the deepest longing of our hearts but the Son of the Most High is constant. In the midst of all the hustle and bustle and the glitzy advertising during the Christmas season, Christ alone stands the test of time. And those who give Him their heart's devotion and adoration will not be disappointed. In Luke chapter 1, verse 32, you'll notice that the passage tells us that Jesus will be called great. His greatness and his sonship are defined by what follows that statement. Next we see that he is to be called the son of David. The name son of David uh, fulfills prophecy 
Verse 32 and 33, we read these words, The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. Now that is a backwards way of saying that the title for the Son of God, Jesus, is Son of David. That's his messianic title. His messianic name, Son of David, fulfills promises that were made to David of an unending rule. The Old Testament introduces and develops this promise, particularly in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and in verses 8 through 17. In that passage of Scripture, we're told a number of things. First of all, we're told the Messiah will come from David's body. Jesus was David's physical descendant through Mary. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 13 through 17, we're told the Messiah's kingdom will be everlasting. He'll be called the Son of God. And through the Messiah, David's house and throne will be established forever. Now those prophecies that I have just quoted to you were given a thousand years before the birth of Jesus Christ. A thousand years. 700 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 foretold that the Messiah will be a son conceived of a virgin named Emmanuel, which means God with us. Micah, who was a contemporary of Isaiah, prophesied in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem to be ruler over Israel and that his origin is from antiquity. These are but a handful of the prophecies pertaining to the coming Messiah. Do you know that in all, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies related to the Messiah? You know, mathematicians have calculated the odds of one person fulfilling just eight of those prophecies to be 10 to the 17th power. Now I want you to get that on your piece of paper if you've got enough room. (laughs) You'd write down 10 and then after it what you do is you put 17 zeros. In his book Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Josh McDowell illustrates it this way. Take the state of Texas. State of Texas is an area of 268,820 square miles. Cover the entire state two feet deep with silver dollars. Take one silver dollar and put a red X on it. And put it out there in the pile with all those other silver dollars. And then turn loose some bulldozers and let them drive around the state for a while and just turn all those silver dollars over. And then blindfold someone in El Paso, Texas. Spin them around a few times, turn them loose and let them walk all over the state of Texas And reach down and pick one silver dollar. The odds of that individual picking that one silver dollar with a red X on it is 10 to the 17th power. Now folks, that's the odds of one person fulfilling just eight of the prophecies of the Messiah. Jesus Christ fulfilled over 300 prophecies of the Messiah. 
The Bible tells us that when he was given this name, Son of David, it was a confirmation that his arrival was the fulfillment of prophecy. The fullness of time had come. The Messiah was to be born. The one that generations had longed to see was about to enter the world. The plan and will of God was about to be confirmed and carried out in the birth of his son. The great moment of all time was about to take place in the birth of Jesus. He'd be given a place of prominence here on earth. He would reign on the throne of David and there would be no end to his kingdom. The name Son of David confirms Jesus fulfills prophecy. It assures us that God is faithful and true. Any promise that you can find in God's word that God gives to us is certain. The fulfillment of these prophecies tells us that he is reliable, that everything he says can be counted on. God keeps his word. And then I want you to notice the fourth name. The fourth name that we are given is Son of God. The name Son of God testifies to his deity. Mary asked in Luke chapter 1, verses 34 and 35, How can this be since I've never had sexual relations with a man? And the angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary didn't ask for a sign. Her question was born out of wonder. Not disbelief. Her statement that she had never had sexual relations with a man tells us that she fully understood that this conception was going to be immediate. And yet she and Joseph were still in the midst of a long betrothal or engagement period before the actual marriage had been consummated. Now this is where our understanding of the passage gets a little bit blurry because we don't have the same understanding of Judaism that we have in our Western culture because marriage in biblical times differed from marriage in modern Western society. Today we're typically, typically, two stages to marriage. There's an engagement period and then there is the actual marriage ceremony. But in Judaism, in biblical times, it was a three-stage process. First of all, the parents would agree among each other uh, who their children should marry. Now, I know there's probably some parents here this morning that you'd had, wish you'd had the same opportunity. And so after this agreement had been reached, the two would be engaged to one another, committed to one another. But then it would enter into a second phase, and it is the second phase that we do not have in our society. We don't know anything about it. And the second phase is called betrothal. And it is during this time that the couple 
is legally married to one another. And we know this to be true because as Joseph is contemplating all of this, the Bible tells us that Joseph's not wanting to embarrass Mary. He finds out she's expecting a child. And an angel appears to him in a dream and says, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She hasn't had sexual relations with another man. Well, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son. Then he says to Joseph, and you shall name him Jesus. Now the couple's not together yet. And this is in the betrothal stage. And during the betrothal stage, the man would establish his own home, would get things in order, and then after he'd established his own home, he would bring his betrothed into his home, and then the marriage would be consummated, and that would be what we know as the marriage ceremony. Betrothed couples were regarded legally as husband and wife. Now the work in Mary introduces something unknown before or after. The birth into the human race of one who is both God and man. The angel's statement that the Holy Spirit will come upon you is a direct declaration of Jesus' divine conception. This was a creative act of the Holy Spirit, not the sort of divine human cohabitation sometimes seen in pagan mythology. It means Jesus is uniquely set apart. The words of the Holy One describes His sinless nature. His unique birth is the reason the child can be called the Son of God. You know, if you follow this story on into Luke chapter 2, what you find is that Mary really did not put the significance of this together all at one time. There's an occasion in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus is 12 years old when they go from their home and go to Jerusalem in order to observe one of the Jewish festivals. And while they're there, they lose track of Jesus, but they don't know it until they're heading back home. (coughs) And before you say, well, what neglectful parents... Let me tell you, people typically traveled in caravans with other relatives. And so they're unaware until they get some distance away from Jerusalem, headed back toward home, that Jesus is not in the caravan anywhere. Now you can imagine a mother has lost her child at the mall. Does anybody go to the mall anymore? (laughs) Online, right? So... She goes back, she finds Jesus. What in the world were you thinking? Your father and I were worried to death about where you were. And Jesus replies, Did you not know that I needed to be about my father's business? And in that moment, Mary's mind goes back to this passage of Scripture, this conversation with an angel, this 
birth. And she remembers Jesus is her boy, but he is God's son. Jesus has not yet assumed his kingdom here on earth, but one day he will. Remember, we've studied this morning, we found that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. You know that there are an abundance of scriptures that also talk about the fact that he will come again. You know what that's saying to us? That's saying to us that not just at Christmas time, but every day of our lives, we ought to be living in the expectancy that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And when he comes, he's not coming as a humble baby. He's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming to reign on the throne forever. Many in Mary's day never accepted him as the sovereign Lord. And most in our day reject and dismiss Jesus. But one day the world will see him as he is. And one day all will bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, in this message, we've dealt with the miraculous conception and birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. His, you realize that his miraculous birth paved the way for countless other miraculous births? Had Jesus Christ not come and died for our sin, you and I would have no means of salvation. But because of what Jesus did, we too have the opportunity to be born again into the family of God. I want to ask you this morning, have you experienced that supernatural birth? There's still time today. Jesus came for you. Will you come to Jesus Let's pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to know this morning, would it be your decision today to say, Jesus, thank you for coming for me. I now come to you and profess my faith in you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you, God, that I was lost in my sin but you love me enough to die on the cross for me to take the punishment that I deserve. Jesus, come in and save me now. Change my life. If you're watching online or you're in this room this morning, that may be your prayer today. You know, none of us is guaranteed we have one more breath. I know we assume a lot of things. But there's not a person in this room that is guaranteed one more day, one more hour. And so if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I plead with you now. 
Take Jesus into your life to be your Lord. Ask him to forgive you and save you, and he will. He will. Now, the greatest gift of all time is the gift of a Savior, the Son of God. This morning, as we bow before him to worship him, the way that we honor him is we honor him with our lives. And I know we give a lot of gifts at Christmas time, but the best gifts should always be the gift of ourselves to Jesus. And that has many expressions. It's the gift of time. It's the gift of our abilities. It's the gift of our treasure. All of these are ways we speak of our devotion, of our love and adoration of Jesus. And Father, I pray in my own life, as well as I pray for these who are listening this morning, that it would be obvious to you and to others that you've changed our agenda. You've changed our lives. And it would be visible in the way we worship you and serve you and live our daily lives. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.